Well, hello everybody and welcome back. This is our daily devotional for Tuesday, November 21st, 2023. And I hope that it finds all of you doing very well as you are making your way through this Thanksgiving week. Again, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. We plan on being here every day, including Thanksgiving Day itself. Um, Lord willing, of course, that, uh, that, that everything lines up and we can get all of these in and that technology works and, well, you know, all of the things. But nevertheless, it is so good to be with y'all this morning. We're making our way through Acts, y'all. Acts chapter 18. We finally got into chapter 18, and we see that Paul is moving yet again. He's done with Athens, right? And the way that he leaves Athens, where we left off, was that Paul basically said, all right, I'm out of here. Some of the people said, hey, we want to hear you again on this subject, but we see that a few became followers, a few men, a few women. But then Paul leaves. Part of this is because Athens was what it was, that they were only concerned with hearing ideas, as it said previously in chapter 17. And so Paul kept on moving. Y'all, there's a message. It starts in Acts 17. It continues on to where we're picking up today, but it's a valuable message that resonates all the way to the book of Revelation. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's pray, and then we'll dig in. Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us, and we pray that you would be with us in it. Please guide us now that we would understand, that, that we would recognize what is revealed in your word, and, and in recognizing it, that we would be convicted by what you are showing us by your Holy Spirit and also how your word moves and, and the obligation not just to receive, but to believe and to take to heart. So please work in our hearts to this end and we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Now, what was I talking about so cryptically? <clears throat> well, quite frankly, it's that Paul uh, not had reached his limit as if this is some earthly thing, but Paul preached the word. It was received by some, it wasn't by others. And so he moved on and he moved on to Corinth. Acts chapter 18, verse one is where we're picking up today. It starts in verse one by saying, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. All right, a couple of things going on here. Number one, we see some persecution against the Jews for this time, um, and that has to do with a lot of different reasons that are not terribly important. However, it does point to a displacement of Jews. Paul, in hearing about this, capitalizes on things, right? He, he goes to Priscilla, to his wife Aquila, in order to share the gospel. He finds out that they are tent makers, and he himself decides to take up the business with them. Not, not that, that it was new to Paul. We know that he had previously done this. He knew what he was doing. If you've ever heard of a tent maker pastor, that's a pastor that works part-time in the ministry and part-time in some secular job. It's called tent making. Well, now you have the origin of that phrase if you've ever heard it before. That being said, that is not the ideal set of circumstances, okay? 
The ideal is that Paul is able to do what he's called to do completely, right? To, to preach the gospel, to keep on going. Every time that he spent making tents, he wasn't able to do the other. There's also another side of this too, in that Paul is providing for his own credibility here. The office of pastor, as we know it, did not exist in, in the format that we know it now, though there were men that were dedicated to preaching and were paid by churches and all of that kind of stuff. Paul is simply not boosting his credibility for the sake of that, but instead he's, he's making a living as he is making his journey. Now, let's get to that cryptic stuff. There's more to say on that, but, but we're not going to spend any more time on it. Instead, let's look at what happens next, because we're getting to a principle here, a principle that we really need to pay attention to. It's revealed in verse 4 and following. It says, every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks, okay? Again, side note, we got this thing going on where it's Paul's practice on the Sabbath to be in the synagogue worship, worshiping. It should be our practice too. But not only that, you see the paradigm, right? Paul is hitting the synagogue hard, okay? He is going with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ again and again and again. That's the format. That's the place to do that sort of thing. Verse 5, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Now, you get the paradigm here. Before I said that, that Paul was a tent maker. Okay, the idea is that when he was on his own, he had to do something to make a living. He didn't want to be a burden to others. So he was a tent maker. But when Silas and Timothy showed up, Paul was dedicated full-time to the gospel ministry. What does that mean? It means that that was his only job, right? Uh, Acts chapter 18 is not some halfway justification for not having to pay your preacher, okay? It's not some halfway justification for, well, there really shouldn't be full-time preachers as we know it. Paul was full-time. When, when, Silas and Timothy showed up. It allowed Paul to dedicate himself to the full-time preaching of the gospel, and that's how it should be at every church. There are some circumstances where churches can't afford pastors. I understand that, but if at all possible, you need to have a man that is dedicated to preaching the gospel. That's exactly what Paul is doing. Now, not only is he doing that, listen to what he's doing again. He's testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. He's hammering home the fact that Jesus wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a man. He's the one that we've been looking for. He's the Messiah, the one come to atone for our sins. Remember a while back when we were in the gospel, according to John, we talked about some of the misconception about who the Christ actually was amongst the Jewish people. One of those misconceptions was that the Christ was supposed to be some sort of political figure, right? That, that he was a deliverer, all right. He was a savior, but it was just going to save, he was just going to save Israel from the Roman Empire. No, no, no. Jesus came to do so much more than that. In fact, his kingdom encompasses so much more than a singular plot of land. There's nothing in the whole universe that doesn't belong to him. But his work as the Christ revolved around saving his people from their sins. So reading between the lines here, that's the message that Paul is taking again and again and again, and he's driving that home. And what happens? 
you don't have to read verse six to know, right? I mean, what happens in verse six is the same thing that has always been happening. Verse six, but when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, all right, pause for just a second. What happened was is that the Jews wouldn't have it. Y'all, what this denotes is an active rejection on the Jewish people's part. It is an active refusal to recognize Jesus as the Christ. And not only will they not recognize him, they become abusive. It says, but when the Jews, verse 6, when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, we need to be careful with something here, y'all. We need to be very, very careful. What we've just read is not Paul throwing a temper tantrum. No. What we have just read is not, as some describe it as, oh, well, we really see Paul's humanity coming forth here. No. Was he angry and frustrated? Well, you tell me. Think about all the times the Jews have tried to kill him. Think about you know him being flogged severely in public. Think about all the things that he has endured, right? But this is not him slipping up. This is not his humanity coming out in anger, trying to, to spite the Jews. No. Through Paul's actions... We see a valuable principle about rejecting God's word. And it's a principle that isn't unique to what's going on here. You know, here with Paul in Corinth, he's told them, he's told them, he's told them the people wouldn't listen to him. They wouldn't receive the word of God. They didn't take it as the word of God. They took it as Paul. Y'all, that goes on a lot today. Let me just tell you. People get all angry about what the preacher says. And if the preacher's just spouting his own opinion, that's one thing. But if the preacher is preaching from God's word, it isn't about the preacher. He didn't write it. And I say this because I are one. And I say it sometimes when I preach. Don't get mad at me. I didn't write this. You got a problem with this. It's not with me. It's with the God uh, who breathed this out through the author, through God Almighty, right? It, it, it's with God Almighty that you have a problem. But nevertheless, that, that's what's going on here. And you see this imagery of Paul not only saying this, but he shakes off his clothes. You get the imagery of that? The imagery of that is not only is he done telling them the word, he knocks the dust off of himself as he leaves. And he says, I'm done with the Jews. May your own blood be on your head. I've met my responsibility. I'm going to the Gentiles. Y'all, the principle that is revealed here through Paul is echoed in the book of Hebrews, and we won't turn there, but when the author of Hebrews warns the Hebrew people that are Christians and they're considering going back to Judaism and abandoning Jesus, he says, respond now to the word while the day is still called today. Sometimes people fool themselves into thinking they got all sorts of time to respond to God's word. You don't. There comes a time when it's preached and it's preached and it's preached and it's ignored and it's ignored and it's ignored. And sometimes the preacher is done and the preacher says, I'm out of here. 
you know, God forbid that that's never happened to me. God forbid that it ever does. And, and I'm not saying in any way, shape or form, I'm close to that. But, but you get my point. Sometimes the preacher leaves, but there's something even more dangerous than that. Right. Um, turn to Revelation two with me really quickly here. You know, when people think about the book of Revelation, again, Revelation 2, if you have any trouble finding it, flip to the end and go back until you get to the beginning of Revelation, right? It's the last book of the Bible. But people have this thing with Revelation where they think it's all about the prophecy stuff. And indeed, the majority of it is apocalyptic. It's telling about the new heaven, the new earth, all the things that are going to happen, full of hope, right? But Revelation doesn't start that way. No, instead, it starts with the letters to the churches, and this is just one example of, of something that happens again and again. In Revelation chapter 2, it begins with writing from Jesus to the church in Ephesus. Let's start reading in verse 4. He says, yet I hold this against you. This is Revelation 2 verse 4. Yet this I hold against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Now, what's the first love that Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, forgot about? It was their first love of him, their first love of the gospel, their first love of God's word. And the idea that you get is that Jesus has this against the Ephesian church because the word is being preached, but they're not listening anymore. Kind of like I said, things happen now with, with modern preachers. There's nothing changed in 2,000 years. The people want it their way. They're not interested in what God's word has to say, just like they weren't interested in Corinth about what Paul had to say. As he was breathing out God's word to them, they wouldn't have it. So Paul shook the dust off of his clothes and left and said, may your blood be on your heads. But what about Jesus? Continue reading in verse four. He says, if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. You know, there's a lot of debate over what the lampstand is, but I think a wonderful explanation of the lampstand is the light. And in fact, the spirit would be removed from the church. And let me tell you all something. What's happening here in Acts chapter 18 with Corinth, what Jesus warns about to the churches in Revelation, especially with the Ephesian church, Y'all, this isn't just for Corinth and for Ephesus and for other churches that received this warning. It wasn't just for the original Hebrews that became Christians that received the letter to the Hebrews. No, it's for churches today too. This idea that if a church continues to go against God's word and go against God's word and not listen to the truth and they just go their own way and they're not interested in it, that judgment of the truth, not you know, shaking its clothes off and walking out, that judgment of the lampstand being removed. Let me tell you all something and hear me well on this. You want to know what a church can't outprogram, what a church can't outspend, what a church can't outplan. It doesn't matter who's behind the pulpit. It doesn't matter who's doing the music. It doesn't matter how much money you've got in your budget. It shouldn't, shouldn't the world around us show us this? Because we see these monstrosities claiming to be churches with thousands upon thousands of people. That, 
It doesn't matter what you've got. When Jesus takes away your lampstand, you're done. You may not realize it yet, but you're done. You want to know what's going on in the United States with American Christianity? I believe there's a whole lot of churches that have no business calling themselves churches whose lampstands were removed a long, long time ago. Why? Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And in the spirit of Romans 1, as we were in last week, they are experiencing God's wrath. Now, that doesn't explain the closure of every church by any means. And in fact, there are lots and lots of churches that close that are faithful, Bible-believing churches. And I'm not, I'm not trying to paint with such a broad brushstroke. But the principle remains, y'all. This is not just about churches that close. Sometimes the greatest judgment that God can, 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 can place on a group of individuals is not for their church to close. It's for it to stay open albeit without a lampstand. Paul, there with the word of God himself, shook the dust off his clothes and left. Let me ask you something. You think that synagogue closed? No, of course not. It kept on going. In fact, attendance might have even picked up because they were tired of listening to Paul talk about this Jesus fellow all the time that they didn't believe entirely possible. But when Paul shook the dust off of his robes, when he said, may your blood be on your own heads, he meant it. Because y'all, while the Lord is gracious and merciful, while he is long suffering, not desiring that any should perish, while his word never goes out and returns void, to say that Judgment does not exist for those who call themselves the followers of Christ yet have no interest in his word. It does not match up with what is contained in God's word. It does not match up with what we've read today. So in here is a warning. You can do lots of things as a church. But as I've said often, make sure that you're a regular part of a Bible-believing church. I don't care how many kids you got in the youth group. I don't care how much benevolence you do. None of that stuff matters if you're not faithful to the word of God. You may have a civic organization. You may have some fabulous, fabulous structure. It doesn't matter because once the spirit is gone, it's over. Paul leaves them in a definitive fashion. There is no feel-good poem at the end of his sermon. There's no three points. He doesn't quote some hymn. He's just gone, left with a warning. You know, he feels comfortable doing that. But more importantly, God's word is very comfortable leaving us in uncomfortable spots. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us, and we pray that we would heed your word. Not all of your words are as uplifting and encouraging as others. Some prop up a gigantic mirror, and we're forced to look in it. Oh, but they're beautiful words. 
and when taken to heart, they become encouraging, for they are all the words of life, even those passages that read us more than we read them. Let us, please, Father, let us turn to you again and again, trusting in your word, not denying you. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Until then, take these things to heart. Examine the church that you attend. Does it hold up the word of God? Does it hold out the word of God? Have a great, great Tuesday or whenever you find this.